This season of The Ready State is sponsored by ButcherBox. Yeah, you know, we have been, we get asked a lot about nutrition. A couple things. One, your tissue quality is directly impacted by the quality of things you eat, unequivocally. And I think we can pretty much boil down all of the uh, information I know about nutrition into one sentence. Don't eat like an asshole. Here's the deal with ButcherBox. We've used it. We love it. You get a box of super beautiful grass-fed or finished beef, free-range chicken, and old-world pork, whatever that is. <laughs> it's like vintage pork. No, no. But here's the deal. I love bacon. You love bacon. Use our link. We'll get you $20 off and get some free bacon. And it's 9 to 11 pounds of meat for $129 a month, which is less than $6 a meal. I mean, forever we have been saying you should probably eat like a vegan plus the best meat you can afford. Vegan plus meat. And guess what? ButcherBox is that. It's, it's amazing. You like meat and want to avoid eating like an asshole and you love free bacon, go to butcherbox.com slash the ready state and you'll get $20 off and free bacon. No brainer. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And this is The Ready State. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! This episode, we have the incredible, incomparable Laird Hamilton. If you have been living under a rock and maybe have never heard of surfing or big wave surfing, maybe you don't know who Laird Hamilton is or Gabrielle Reese. But Laird is an incredible innovator surfer. If you've ever heard of stand-up paddling, big wave uh, towing, foiling, this guy has been on the cutting edge of human performance as, as it relates to being a waterman for a long, long time. If, if you ever watched North Shore, you know who we're talking about. And last year, his, a documentary about his life, Take Every, Take Every Wave, which was directed by Rory Kennedy, came out. And as an addition to this podcast, I highly recommend you have a look at that. Now, Laird and Laird's life are, are worthy of conversation on podcasts for a lot of reasons. But actually, we're going to have a conversation with Laird for a different reason, and that he suffered debilitating and chronic hip pain for the last season of his, of his, one of his sort of big surfing tour. Along with many other serious injuries throughout yeah. his surfing career. And it turns out, of course, that the, one of the common narrative threads through a lot of the athletic experience is, is injury. And... Laird has a little bit to share about how he's come to manage and think about pain, about how it interrupts or doesn't interrupt his life, and and strategies to to uh, to continue to do what he loves in spite of the fact that uh, he doesn't have a hundred percent body all the time. I think you're really going to enjoy our chat with Laird, brother Laird. Thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon. And uh, I just want to jump right in. Juliet, Juliet just gave me her eye roll because I called you brother Laird. He is my brother. Look, um, you just said pain is my cousin. I live with him. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, it's 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 an emotion. It's an emotion. It's a sensation. It's it's something that, first of all, that I have a longstanding relationship with. I think we all do. We kind of come in to the world in pain. <laughs> you know, your first breath probably is pretty painful um, after living in a, in a, in liquid and in a bubble. And, you know, and, and I did, and just, I've had so many opportunities to engage with pain throughout my life. Like, like any of us that are doing things where, you know, we're, we're not only hurting ourselves, but just putting our bodies through, uh, you know, their earthly deeds. Are you saying it's not all just hair and suntan? 
Laird Hamilton. I am saying it's not all just hair. There is some hair. That's protection. Uh, (laughs) How many times have you broken your ankle? Uh, the one ankle, I have seven breaks on the one ankle. And then, uh, and then I, that same leg, I broke, uh, seven different breaks, not seven broken things one time. Uh, and then a broken arch and all the metatarsals in that, in that foot. Uh, in fact, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever broken an arch, you can appreciate how painful those are might be one of the most, uh, painful things, uh, is when it comes to just breaking a bone and living with it, just arches are very, uh, they're very sore and you always use them. <laughs> and, uh, if you don't mind my asking, and I'm assuming I know the answer, but what were you doing when you broke your arch or what was the circumstance? Uh, I was in a foot strap, you know, that we foot straps that we use on these different, uh, boards, whether it's, a you know, whether it's a wakeboard or a, a tow board for riding giant surf or a wind surfer or a kite board or so my, my arch got broken, uh, being in a, in a strap and which is a great way to break your arch because your foot stays firmly planted, uh, while the back half, the front foot's planted and the back half kind of folds over the front. And, uh, it's a, an effective way to break your arch. Actually. Your it's a very effective setup. You, um, Obviously, well known for being an extraordinary waterman, which is how I think about you. But you know, you you have exposed yourself to some some heavy forces. I think one of the the stories that I always think of all the time when I think about uh, your sort of most most recent intervention, which we want to get to in a minute, it's about how you manage the season. But a jet ski came over the falls and landed on your hip. I mean, is this is this yeah. normal? Is this typical for average people? Uh, no. This is not typical even for not average people. I, you know, I, in fact, I, I don't know too many other people that have actually had a jet ski actually landed on my back. Um, and I saw it coming like I saw it out of the corner of my eye. And so I went to, you know, turn uh, and do the, you know, use your use your shell like a turtle would and and took it on the back. And uh, and have and, and ever since then, I've had a certain amount of kind of lower back trauma it, just because of the the force of that of that thing it, it literally just kind of it, it, it got stuck my friend was driving it and he got stuck at the top of the wave and the and it got pitched over the top of the wave and then I was on the wave at the bottom of the wave and it landed uh, and just plunged me um, underwater and I was on my board so uh, after that I was um, horizontal on the floor at lunchtime which when Gabby came home she found rather peculiar because normally I'm not laying down in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I don't think Kelly and I have ever seen you laying down in the middle of the day. Where were you surfing and when was that? Uh, that was, that was, uh, on my home Island in, in, in on Kauai. And that was, it has to be, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, 2000, maybe, maybe uh, late nine ninety. you know, like, uh, 99 98 somewhere in that in that uh in that range i'm not okay. good dates. i call you know if i got gabby on the over here she'd give me the the time <laughs> she'd be like july and, 27th 1999 yes. yeah, <laughs> beer in hand yeah <laughs> you know what's interesting about i think just setting the framework for people for understanding how much trauma your body's been through is that you are really well known for enormous work capacity, enormous physical work ethic from dragging on the sand to your, your, the work that you've done in the pools to 
You're in, you're in, you're, you've done, you did ride across America, the race across America on a bike. You've paddled the Hawaii Five-O. You, you paddle between islands and bike across. I mean, I think you paddled across the Mediterranean pretty much, <laughs> if I remember the, the story right. Um, so how do you reconcile all of this trauma and this really what almost could be career-ending injuries in so many aspects with your ability to keep training hard, which you fundamentally has got to feel like that's the secret? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, there's a couple things that go on and which is, you know, the, the first probably most important thing is, you know, uh, and, and you can say it a few different ways, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss or in this case, a moving body keeps moving. And so, you know, you learn quickly that, you know, nothing will slow you down like doing nothing and not moving. And so, you know, and, and, and I've had, you know, with my ankle, broken ankles, you know, I would cut the cast off, off of them and I'd start to walk, you know, while they were broken. I did a lot of stuff in the sand, um, you know, and really when I go to, a, you know, an, an orthopedic surgeon and they see my ankle, they're like, hey, we want to x-ray that. Like, what do you, is there screws? Is there bolts? And I have no hardware in there. But, the you know, the body heals better when you're in motion, you know. And so I think there's a there's a relationship to that. There's a relationship to pain, you know, uh, the, the pain and the suffering that you get in injury is really not much different than the pain and the suffering that you get when you're, you know, paddling for 22 hours or whatever, uh, your, whatever endurance thing you're you're in. I mean, sometimes these kind of pain, you know, this type of pain is stretched out over 20 hours or you can have all this pain instantly in one second, uh, depending on the injury. But the relationship and the effect that it has on your system is pretty similar. I mean, it, it's, you become, that's why I said, you know, uh, pain is my cousin and he lives inside of me. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, you have a relationship with it and then you can, and then you start to embrace it. You know, you start embracing it. Like, because when you put pain managed properly into your life, that's where all the benefits happen. Right. So if you, if you lift weights and you get sore, but you feed yourself correctly and you're lifting correctly, then you get muscles, right? If you if you put pain into into endurance uh, training, then your endurance levels go up. If you put pain in, and well, and I'll use discomfort because there's a certain level of discomfort with pain, whether you're injured uh, or you're doing some you know athletic uh, event. These are these are interrelated. So you get you know the better you get that, the sooner you get in, and and this and this get good at and embrace pain the better because there's just really no way around it, uh, in, in, you know, in, on this plane that we live on, we live, we, you know, when, where gravity is, so shall pain be, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> gravity and pain it's here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone who's performing, uh, at an elite level athletically doing really anything and especially not what you're doing is not, um, you know, having pain as their cousin. And I also think, it's unusual for people to hear that pain is such a common experience, especially since we are basically taught that, you know, pain is bad. We should fear pain. We should self-medicate away from pain. I think, I think people are going to be surprised to hear how much pain is kind of a part of the conversation that you've managed over a, a, a lifetime. And, you know, frankly, since you're just at the peak of your surfing right now, I mean, I don't know how much more you've got, you know, how much, how much more pain is coming down the pipeline. But if, if it's a normal process, I think it's going to shock people to hear how much and that it's part of the conversation. 
Well, I mean, yeah, because there, there's a certain level of denial that happens where we we paint these nice, you know, poetic pictures in our mind about how 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 it is, especially for other people when we're looking at them from a distance, uh, when they're doing something that can be, you know, enticing and interesting and exciting, you know, and so we can. But the fact is, is that that, you know, that that that. You, I mean, it's, you gotta, that's, this is where we live. I mean, this is who we are. And if you're an athlete and you're, and you're in any sport at a high level, I mean, your relationship with pain, I, I can, I can almost guarantee that anybody who's been in something for a long enough time, uh, you know, to make it to, to, you know, to make it a career has has been involved with pain and and you know the one i think uh, an interesting kind of breakthrough i had just recently um with my relationship with pain and i'll talk about is was the fact that you know because of like you said you know you, kelly you talk about okay you know we're looking for ways to med okay i have pain put ice okay i'm medicated okay put take something that makes me not feel it but what i what i really have come to understand is that any any uh, effect on your pain, any any reduction through icing, through stem, through through uh, medication, any any reduction of your pain is a reduction in your healing time. And so you just have to decide how long you want to take to heal. Because if you if you want to reduce the pain so you don't have any, then you're going to be looking at a very long arduous healing process. And if you want to sit and just choke it up and not use Novocaine and not use this and not use that and not use ice, even, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to heal fast. I mean, it's just it's just I, I'm, I'm connecting the whole IGF one healing hormone directly to pain suppression. If you if you're suppressing pain, you're 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 reducing. And I don't, I'm not a scientist and I can only tell you what I know from experience. And you can and I could probably get a scientist to tell tell me eventually if he does 80 studies that this is exactly what happens. But, uh, you know, when you slow that pain, you know, when you slow that pain down, you slow that healing down. And so if you're in if you want to heal fast, choke it up uh, and deal with it. And even, you know, I, I'm talking about even when you how you're uncomfortable and you can never find a comfortable position as you're you know, let's say you busted your leg or you busted your ribs or you or you, whatever it is, you got a hip replacement, you got a broke, whatever, whatever you got going. And you're just, you cannot be comfortable. You're just rolling around and there's never a comfortable position. Well, that's because you're supposed to be moving around the whole time. Because the worst thing you could do if you were hurt would be to just lay and not move and then create all this scar tissue that would become like a cast in your uh, future movement. So, you know, and, and, and proof of that is, is that now when you go get a hip or a knee or something, they got you moving the day you get it. And then they got you moving every day after that. You know, in the old days, it was like, hey, just body cast and lay there for three months and atrophy, you know, 1% a day, uh, <laughs> you know, and then after three months, you wonder why this is going to take more work to build your muscles back than it will be to, to deal with, you know, the recovery from your injury. But so, you know, again, even the movement, just that move that we're constantly moving because we're uncomfortable. Cause I thought about it, I go, well, how come, you know, in this discomfort, I just, I, I re, I'm just moving every minute or two. And I'm like, and I thought, I go, well, of course, because the body wants you to heal under movement. It's going to help. You're going to heal better according to the way your body moves. If you're constantly moving.
So I think the reason we first met you, Laird, and Kelly can correct that, correct me if I'm wrong, but was actually because of your hip. Um, someone connected you and Kelly to talk about it. And I know it sounds like it happened in 99 or 2000, which means, you know, we probably didn't meet you till 2014. And that means you were managing that hip, that janky hip for a really long time. I mean, how did you manage your surfing season? And, you know, as someone who also has had a janky hip in my life, um, there is a lot of management involved. And how did you do that? How did you work on that and manage it? You know, I, I mean, I, listen. I think the, I think in the beginning, you you're not even aware of the of of you know the need to manage it, and as it becomes more chronic, you become more aware. And then you know, at the end, you're you know, I think at a certain point, by the time I got done doing everything I needed to do, from you know the information that Kelly provided me with, and some of the things that I had experienced along the way, that I was doing as much rehab to to recover as I was doing the performing. It was like, okay, surf for five hours, then the, then to recover is going to take you five hours. That was a bad ratio. At that point, I go, five for five? Yeah, I better I better get a new ball joint in there and, yeah. and, and, and start rolling. But before that, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I was, I've always been, you know, conscious of, of the importance of flexibility, um, you know, also aware of what hurts you in your training, like aware of like things that are irritating it. I mean, certain things you're that irritate it, you're not going to stop doing if that's what you do. Now, if the thing that you do is, you know, jump a hurdle, then you're probably not going to stop jumping a hurdle. So don't do all these other things that irritate it uh, as well. So and so I think that was part of it. I think part of my management, you know, other than, OK, my diet and I'm going to eat right and I'm going to, you know, take, you know, I'm going to drink gallons of turmeric and I'm going to be aware of, you know, anything I can do nutritionally to try to support it. I'm going to do everything I can do environmentally or, you know, resting and, hey, probably not good to go and run on hard ground uh, when your hip is already bone on bone. Like that's not a place to even though you know, you want to run because you want to train and you need that aspect, but maybe run in the soft sand and, you know, just again, modifying things to not keep irritating it. Um, especially because, you know, some of the things that I, I was doing in this, in the ocean were already irritating it. And, uh, and I, I think that actually delayed it quite a bit. And, you know, I, I, I always, and, and then try to get stronger, like, like, Hey, what is, what are the issues that are, prom you know, kind of promoting this, this deterioration of my hip what 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 are those is it, okay that's because this is tight so let's work on getting that loose that's because this is weak well let's work on getting that strong um again you know some of that stuff you're better at than others uh and you know and had i done a really strict protocol uh you know from the very beginning before i even knew i had an issue maybe could i have delayed it i don't think i could have prevented it just the nature of the way my hips are, what I've done, you know, I mean, if, if I look at the kind of wear and tear that I put on my system, I mean, this, this might be, you know, multiple lives kind of thing. Like the system wasn't designed, <laughs> no, this wasn't just well, for that volume. I mean, you know, it's one thing when you're running around on hard uh, on the ground, like a hunter gatherer, you know, but that's not flying down, you know, at 50 miles an hour on, on wooden planks down giant waves and, and just the amount of waves and, the, and, you know, on all these sports and all this volume of, of time 
in these positions that would wear that stuff out. Like traditional living, I think he'd be cool. <laughs> you know, that's but, right. <laughs> well, w- one of the um, I think things that's really interesting is you know sometimes bad things happen. Trauma happens to people. We we get injured, we get behind, and one of the things we <clears throat> are not great of, especially in our modern uh, technolo- technological culture, is creating situations where we can rest where we can tune out and we can turn off i i think that the the in vogue word right now is down regulate how do we get out of the you know five hour energy drink 17 cups of of coffee you know and then try to hit the brakes with alcohol uh you know thc um ambient not telling pm i think we're just we've done a poor job of empowering people around those that those strategies but it's not i i feel like your experience and certainly your wife too, um, as athletes and, and kind of trendsetters and go-getters and innovators, you guys have stumbled on things that make the process better, that you give yourself more resistance through some of your daily behaviors that allow your body to tolerate a little bit more than the average bear. And I think most of us honestly are living on the edge that if we get a little bit stressed, we know that the brain gets a little bit twitchy around pain and we get a little bit behind, or our nutrition, or our sleep is bad. Can you talk about some of the aspects of your daily practice? And because obviously, I mean, we I know what they are. Juliet knows what they are. We live we live the layered lifestyle. But can you talk about some of those those features, especially around the heat and ice routine and what you do in the pool? Absolutely. I mean, listen, a big. I mean, one of the fortunate things that we have on our side that I think you know is one of the key factors. I mean, before we get into just the ice and the heat and the, some of these things that are, you know, kind of inducing stress, but it's just, you know, a, a relationship with the ocean. Like I I'm, I'm in nature too. So it's like conscious to be barefoot and walking around on the ground with your feet and, you know, and be at the, you know, be, and, and, and be in an environment where you're, where out you walk out into a park and you only see things that aren't made by man. You see trees and rocks and something, and just having a moment, sometimes these little moments, uh, of serenity, whether it's you're watching a bird fly or a, a puffy cloud or something like that has an effect on our system that, you know, I always try to remind myself of that th- throughout our, throughout the daily thing is like, Hey, check this, the moons out, come look at it. Or the color of the sky is amazing right now, or, you know, watch the sun come up or just things that connect us back uh, to the, to the earth. And those are, and those have an, a, a certain value to them. But when you get into you know, when you get into just make, first of all, let's make, you know, it's like I use my dog as a great example. It's like if I make Kava tired, he's a very obedient dog. Like he is a <laughs> great dog, you know, like, and so if you make Laird tired, he's such a good dog. You know, he's just, he'll be a very, very good dog and he'll be very cooperative and you can talk to him and it's hard to irritate him, you know, but to do that productively, uh, you got to do it that in ways that don't have negative side effects, right? So we look at it and we go, okay, well, if I do this, then it's, you know, whatever that is, normally, you know, the less you put in, the less effort you put in, the less energy it takes. If you're just taking a pill or drinking a liquid or something like that, then then the side effects are gonna be bigger, right? The, the more effort, if you go sit in an ice bath for three or five minutes, that's a bigger commitment than I'm gonna, you know, drink some energy drink uh, or I'm going to, you know, 
take some thing that helps me sleep, right? That's a bigger commitment. Like getting in a getting in a sauna for 15 or 20 minutes at 220 and and maybe dancing between, you know, those two, that heat and the ice and using that that environmental stress to to tire the system and to activate all the hormones and do all the things that it was really designed to do. But you find yourself with all of these processes uh, going back to what would naturally be happening if we lived in environments that were taxing our system like we evolved. So, that you know. I was just talking to our friend, Greg Cook, and he, he was saying a lot of times, and, and something we've talked about on this show is this, this biopsychosocial model that there, we are a complex interaction between our environment and our psychology and, and the, the community we live in and the, our social networks and the actual physical biology. And one of the things that he said is a lot of times we think that we have a, an environment, an organism level problem, but really we have a toxic environment problem. And more and more Juliet and I are feeling that, you know, when people are saying, Hey, we want to make a change in our life. The first thing we say is you should sleep. The second thing we say is you should walk around a little bit more. And, and then, and then if you can do that in the daylight, you get a little sun on your body. That's part of it. Like we've become so reasonable about first principles. And I really appreciate you saying before you get a sauna, before you go get really cold, yeah, go outside. I've been with you 20 <laughs> times where you're like, sun's coming up and we stare at the sunrise, you know, and you're, you know, I mean, we sun gaze. So I, I appreciate that, that kind of this first principles first concept. And I think that's really important to people. Because we, we forget, we, we want the technical solution. No, Laird, I need which board is going to make me a better surfer, right? <laughs> exactly. And, I, and I'll be like, actually, no, just make your feet stronger and then you'll be able to surf better on the board that you have. So, <laughs> you know, but, but, but listen, but, the, but that is exactly right. I think, I think, first of all, we're always making it more complicated than it needs to be. And if you think about it, I mean, there's nothing simpler than just throwing ice in a tub and jumping in. It's kind of like a cold lake and there's, a lot of those out in our environment, right? You know, this other hot thing is just, you know, carry some rocks out in a desert somewhere. And believe me, you'll, you'll, you'll know what hot is like. Hot. So these, but the, but we have to kind of induce it, but that, that I, you know, I think we have to start with trying to reconnect people and wake up that part of their, of their, of their system that is getting, it's getting tired. And, and if you, I mean, and you just said it, if you're not sleeping, then there's nothing to really even talk about because you're so far behind the eight, you know, behind the eight ball at that point, it doesn't even matter because, because you, you're not going to be able to override with anything sleep deprivation and the necessity for your body to be able to recover. You know, that just, that's just a no go. That's a no, that's a no go. And, and, and no one, you know, there is no one that really is, is capable of surviving on five hours of sleep. And if there is, there are so rare and so far between that you can't even use them as a reference because you're not one of them. So at the end of the day, if you're not getting, you know, if you can't start cranking seven, eight, nine hours, then you have to, you have to work on a system that sets you up to do that, which whatever that, whatever that looks like, it, you know, if that looks like getting, you know, taking a, 20 minute super hot bath before you go to bed at that sauning for, you know, 20, 30 minutes before is that breath work after you did stuff during the day? I mean, is it, you know, I mean, even I, I heard a great um, just recently some great science about how melatonin is created in the retina of your eye and you get that from the blue light, like in the early morning blue light. But 
So that just means you have to be up in the early morning to see the light, to get the melatonin in your eye. Like, so that you're going to use later on for sleep. I mean, it's just, you know, this, there's, these things are all at the end are all connected to, to we're connected to the earth and, and our lack of participation in the world. Like when I say in the world, I don't mean our world. I mean, the world outside is affecting us in so many ways that, I think it's too, that's almost too confusing. It's more like let's go back to just implementing things that we're that we were doing during our evolution because it's all about. And the more we go, it's like let's talk biology. You want to if you want to look at issues, let's just biology, biology, biology. Uh, you know, and that's when the scientist comes out of me in that sense. Like I can, you know, biology, I can understand. I go, yeah, that makes complete sense. Like we're not supposed to be doing that. That's something, you know, this is what we did do. Okay, let's do that. Why do we have these feelings? What's because of this? You know, all these things, they start to make sense. And I can, I can attest unequivocally that when Julia and I have stayed with you and all of a sudden you're like, night, Laird's going down. <laughs> and literally I'm like, but it's 845. And you're like, yep, it's already 845. We got a big day tomorrow. I mean, you, you really do protect your sleep and your family protects their sleep. Yeah. I, I actually rubbed off on them because I said that, I mean, that naturally sometimes the girls are more wound at the end of the day and they, and they, they want to stay up. And, and I just kind of, I try to set the precedent and, you know, one thing that I heard, which I really appreciated was, you know, that one of the things about children is that when they're tired, they sleep, they don't, you know, and we have this tendency um, there's a great book called Deep Survival, and they talk about I why love that book. Yeah. Why does a child survive more than like a green beret guy in the jungle was well, because the child just looks for his needs, his immediate needs to be met that that he's not worried about hiking over the next ridge to get to the thing to find the spot where he can see and know where he is. He's like, mm, I'm cold. And he goes and gets warm. Oh, I'm, I'm tired. And he goes and finds his place and sleeps. And so and, and I think that. When, you know, when you connect that to uh, to you, it's like, hey, I mean, we you know, there's nothing worse. And, and when you have to keep yourself awake and you're tired, either on a long drive or someplace and you know, there's times for that. It's like, hey, if you're going to do the Baja 1000 or if you're going to paddle for 22 hours, you're going to want to sleep and you're going to. But that's something that you've already made a decision. It's just not this isn't every night, every day, because that stuff is going to undermine your health in a way that that you know, more than almost anything you can do. And I think there's probably so many diseases that are directly connected to the fact that people aren't sleeping that we can't even count. I bet it would just, if everybody were, was getting good quality sleep, that half the issues that we have would just disappear instantly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've read Matt Walker's book, why we sleep yet, but I'm going to send it to you if you haven't. It's so awesome. I haven't. But, any, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to send it to you, but you know, it's yeah, I mean, we, we always talk, you know, we, we always, we always talk about how, you know, I mean, this goes for adults too, but like kids should fall into bed at night completely exhausted because they've gotten enough physical activity that their bodies are done. And, you know, I don't that's think most of them thing. do get it. Yeah, that's a no. bigger thing because now they're occupying a lot of their time on these, on these, you know, on these instruments where, and it's hard to say, hey, be on, you know, it's hard to say get off your instrument when you're on the instrument too. It's such a tricky <laughs> thing, and I think we don't really know the full level of the repercussions. So from- I do not. I do not play Fortnite. I refuse. I know I'll be sucked in. I don't have a gaming device system. <laughs> the, my so- problem is I'm on it for like for checking the weather, and they're on it for like you know some other social thing. And so those are two completely different, but the fact is you're still using the same instrument. So it makes your, your governing a little more difficult, but 
you know, uh, listen, I just remember falling, you know, falling headfirst into my spaghetti when I was a kid, you know, just like literally like you're there and then you just fall into the spaghetti uh, face down. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, anyway, there's a hawk circling out my window with a snake hanging off of it right now. Literally, he just went by. That was just, <laughs> I guess he was saying hi. He was like, hey, just let you know you're so connected to us. You're still with nature. <laughs> I love it. So uh, I know we've talked about it a bunch already, but how did you first find or become interested and start doing ice heat? You know, I, I think I came to a combination of those uh, from a, a, a couple different routes. I've always uh, been attracted to. Well, first of all, I grew up on a you know on in Hawaii, which is warm, of course. But these waterfalls that we played in and these rivers that we were in when we were a kid, you know, it was in the shadow, and you had shorts on. We had no wetsuits when I was a kid. I, I did. There was no such thing. Uh, first of all, no one in Hawaii had wetsuits, really. And then definitely not kids. So we grew up in shorts playing in the shadows of, of mountain, you know, water coming right out of a cloud. And so it wasn't exactly what I would call warm. Um, and so uh, I, I had and, and the refresh, you know, be, how that refreshing feeling that that cold water gave you when you go in and you come out and everything was stimulated. Um that always has had stuck with me. So, you know, when I got a chance and I was in, you know, in Europe and Chamonix, I'd swim in the glacier river that was coming out of the bottom of the snow. And, you know, I'd go anytime I had an opportunity, I'd always go in the cold water. Um, so I already had an affinity for the cold. Uh, and then and then the exploits of the of, of the ice man and, and, you know, putting ice, making ice baths. I just thought, oh, what a perfect perfect scenario you don't have to take a cold shower you don't have to go to a cold ocean you just could have it in your yard you get a machine you just fill the ice up and go in there and and uh and then i had been exposed to sauna work yeah as a as a as a you know growing up because of the i had a, a friend of mine uh would use it as a health thing he was in there and he wasn't the healthiest guy but the sauna you know he would go in there every day and use the eucalyptus and that really helped him uh, survive longer because he was he was sick and when uh, I and then another friend of mine Chris Chelios the hockey player and this other guy Aaron Downing uh, these hockey both hockey guys Aaron had kind of exposed Chris to the sauna stuff early on and so I would go in in, in his sauna and he'd go in the ocean uh, from the sauna so I'd already had a connection with the with heat um, anyway and and you know tribal sweat lodges and in hawaii they do the the hawaiians did have their version of a sweat lodge so i had already understand that the purging and the and the the kind of the system of that so taking these barrels and then putting them with the ice just came kind of organically uh with my you know all obviously my love for that the intensity of the sensations you know i think when you grow up surfing and you're in shorts your skin and your body is very sense oriented uh, because you're somewhat naked, right? At a certain point, you have no clothes except your shorts on, and you're in the ocean, uh, and then you're on the beach, and you're in the sand, and you know you're in the sun, and you always you're you have a kind of a sensitivity, uh, and that's why I'm real particular about even you know what kind of soap I use and all that kind of stuff. But the uh, we won't go there. But that but the fact is is that's where the ice and heat came from. Uh, those exposures to those two environments. And and then just after starting to, you know, use them and see the results, uh, it just it becomes part of, 
you, a necessity. You don't see, you just, you're like, oh yeah, you can't, I mean, you just, you, you know, you can, I'll, I'll drive an old beater truck. Um, if, and, and, you know, if I can, and, and wear no shoes, uh, if I can have a, an ice machine and, Fact. A, you so know, it's true. <laughs> and a sauna. It's true. Yeah. I think the only Finnish word in the English language is sauna. I think that's a, a true statement. The other thing I think is interesting is we've been doing this a long time. I mean, people have been getting hot and cold for a long time. And I think there are, we're finding out that some of these things that we always did, we went to bed when it was dark, you know, we got up when it was light, we ate whole foods. I mean, the, the revolution in performance nutrition right now is eating actual food not eating a processed food. I mean, that, that seems so counterintuitive, but you know, but that, that's where we are, right? We're, the human beings are involved this way. Um, one of the things that I think is uh, one of the benefits is that you point out is this, that getting hot and managing heat stress, or in addition to all the wonderful benefits for the body, managing heat effectively is one of the most expensive things we do. And warming our bodies when they're cold is also one of the most expensive things we do. And one of the things I like that you talk about is just exposure to this makes us more efficient at these bodily processes. It's almost like you're just tuning up your body's ability to handle these swings. Absolutely. I, listen, I have a young, a young uh, stud that's been, you know, doing heat and ice with us in Hawaii during the winter, and he just got accepted to the fire department. Uh, and so he's going through the fire uh, department training. He goes, Hey, I got to tell you a story. You know, I was during the training. I had that. They put the, uh, you know, they put, the uh, gear on, they got all the fireproof suit, glove, boot, helmet, oh whole thing. and he goes, and he goes, these other guys were croak. They were, they were expiring. And he goes, <laughs> and because I've been, you know, doing it, doing sauna at two twenty or whatever it is that we're, you know, the temperature is, he goes, I was hot, but he goes, but I could function and wasn't uncomfortable. So when you talk about just the performance benefits of becoming heat acclimated, you know, I mean, right there, you just, that makes it worth it. That not to mention that, you know, now that they're, you know, they're finding that, you know, it's going to be a performance enhancement. It's going to produce all kinds of hormones that actually boost. So when you're done training, you should be heating, baking yourself to like bake the workout in, and then you're going to get better recovery and stronger. And, you know, it's all, but just a heat acclimation alone. I mean, whenever you look at any endurance event, I mean, what, what, takes the people down is is overheating i mean when you're at the end of the iron man and the guy collapses it's not because he was cold i mean it's because he, he overheats it's because, it's because there's a volcano that's right in his head in his head in his, <laughs> in his heart so he and so again you look at that and you and, and again just for performance not to mention all the other you know not to mention just getting you know just making the system run the system and, and, and all the, all the benefits. I mean, heat alone is in its own is, has more, more benefits than we can really even measure. And then you go to the other side, you know, and, and the irony with all of this stuff is, is it, it's, it, it seems as we go forward in this performance, uh, you know, nutrition and exercise and all the stuff, it's almost like we're just now discovering what, we used to do and and that becomes the next because it was no november it was cold <laughs> well i'm saying but now that becomes the next thing that we do like that's not, now now we use that as like like you said eating whole foods uh heat and ice uh you know barefoot going nature i mean these are this isn't you know this isn't like elaborate rocket scientist stuff this is actually you know the retro like we're going back in time <laughs> and implementing 
you know, it, we're implementing the things that make us what we are. I mean, right. it make us function at our optimum, you know, why we function the way we do. And so in order for us to function optimally, we need these different pieces. And some of them we have to, you know, some of them we have the fortune now, we don't have to go live next to a cold lake. We can just get, get a Hoshizaki, you know, ice machine and then fill up that the, the, the tub and get in it. <laughs> One of the things I think is that I don't want to lose the narrative because it's so fun to talk about all these things as performance enhancers, but they're also, you know, life enhancers. As we talked about earlier, that just people are struggling to turn off. You can't get hot and cold or just get hot or, and, and not shut down. I mean, it's, it's the running your kids. If you want to have a great vacation, plan as many activities for your kids as you can so that they crash out at seven and then you're, you know, you have, you have some special you have time. Some special time. But what we're seeing is, <laughs> and then you'll fall asleep too. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You got you. You have figured out ways of of just sort of you know capping a day where we're busy and crazy. You 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 have processes, and I don't think people realize that you're so. Um, I think the magic now, having known you for a while, is that the magic of your process allows you to continue to perform so high as its simplicity. The way you eat, you eat whole foods. You are a constant movement during the day. You you really move around a lot, and then you know you you train or don't train or you surf or don't surf. But there's always these components that that sort of are are process oriented. Like it's not a one time thing. It's getting hot and cold for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks. And that also brings up the fact that you have a really unique model for moving in the pool and your pool training, which is breath work hidden with full range of motion work. It's uh, we have taken friends from uh, various military groups and put them in our pool and subjected to your methods. And they will come back the next day and say, that's the first time I have slept in three months. Like I was a 12 year old. child. Or, or we had a uh, Levi Leipheimer in our pool, who was a tour de France cyclist and, you know, on the U S postal service team. And we just had him carrying the hundred pound ball on the bottom of our pool, which isn't even as deep as your pool. And he was like, wow, that's like riding a mountain stage on the tour de France. Bam. Bam. You know, so the play that you, you're you're ex exposing yourself to discomfort every day, whether it's heat and ice or breath holding or breath work or or even just simple breathing practices. But also there's a movement practice in there that I think is is really in keeping with what we were talking about, where we're trying to, you know, be outside, try to move a little bit more. Can you talk about your movement practice in the pool and how you that has allowed you to continue on? Because I think that's really the the meat of why you are so competent. Well, I mean, thank you. Of course, I mean, I, and listen, I, I, I feel like, you know, a, a big part of, of all of this is, is it has to be a lifestyle, right? You just, this isn't something you do uh, five days a week, but then you don't do it on Saturday and Sunday. I mean, this is something that you live, right? And it has to be something that you can implement. If your diet or your training is so complicated that it's not sustainable, then, you know, and, and when I say training for performance, I'm really just referring to life performance. Like, hey, I can perform for my woman when she wants me. I can, you know, I can, I can, <laughs> I can, I can run around and the kids can chase me all day. Uh, if I, if that's what's happening, I can, you know, the, there's a famous old saying, right? You can never have too much fun. It's just that they forgot to add the other part of it, which is, but you just have to be in really good shape to do it. So the fact is, is that, you know, a, a lot of this is just for sanity. I do this for sanity. So I'm not out of my, you know, because 
I'm set up in a bad way. If, if I need an 80 foot wave to bring me peace and, and make me feel fulfilled and make me tired, then I'm going to be flying around a lot and I'm going to be disappointed a lot because there's just not a lot of those, those, and that's a bad setup, right? So I've already kind of been through that process where like, Hey, I'm an adrenaline guy. And if I can't fall out of an airplane, uh, I don't, that means you're going to be taken off on an airplane every day where if you can do it in your backyard, you know, the thing about the pool is, is that it demands, there's a certain innate fear we have, right? There's certain fears that we have, uh, that every human has, right. And, you know, and fear of falling because a lot of people have fallen and perished in our evolution, uh, fear of drowning because a lot of people have drowned in, in, in our evolution. And so some of these things are deep, you know, fire. Okay. Uh, suffocation. I mean, these are, these are things that we have a, a, a deep fear of, uh, and that brings out a, a certain level of kind of participation. You know, it brings out a certain demand on the senses that, that help leads you to being tired, you know, and the thing about the pool is the pool is a, is a great environment because first of all, it's gravity free, not too many of those where we live, uh, but there's no air. So you, it's all about, you know, and I, and I, and I, I say this, uh, kind of very, uh, you know, just very matter of factly, but there's a certain level of submission that the pool demands that if you will not be able to accomplish what you want to do unless you submit. And I think that we don't submit a lot either. We're not in, we're not in submission a lot in, in our existence. And, you know, whether it's submitting to the fear of something or, or, or to your partner or whatever there is, I think there's a level of, su of submission that the pool demands. Right. And in that submission, you gain time and you, and you, and you gain some other, uh, you know, and you gain some air, you know, when, when the, when the drill is right, but the pool is, is kind of a marriage between, uh, you know, between land lifting weights and, and using weights and then swimming, like we're swimming and lifting actually join and they're together. Uh, and, but then in this environment that doesn't have gravity, but then the, 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 the breathing is regulated. Um, so it's very, so you can have these kind of breath drills that are very regulated because, doesn't matter who you are. You can't breathe under the water. You can only breathe when you're above. And so if you execute certain things while you're under and you breathe above, then it's going to be a nice pattern as long as you, you know, as long as you do the same thing every time. So there's a, there's some interesting aspects about the breathing pattern, the compression on the body. I mean, it's, it's just a great environment to ultimately at the end of all of this exhaust myself. Like I said, you yeah, know, it's, it's a lot I of plan. Myself, I do this to exhaust myself. Like, these are the things. you know, my kids are on that list too. Like, you know, these are all the things, and these are the people, and you know, to exhaust myself because I think, uh, I think that's one of our biggest issues that that we deal with. And when you look at anybody, any any guy that I looked at and respect, that you know, Don Wildman, who's eighty five, and this other guy I know just turned hundred in Hawaii. This, and I know some other people that are, you know, older, 75, 80, 85, 90, like these guys, uh, and they're still doing stuff. Uh, any, the one thing about those guys that's consistent that I see from the distance, other than you know the three things that make you live longer, what VO two max, uh, lean body mass, and leg strength. Okay, great, but movement man these guys all day long they are doing something they never stop they just they're just like and they do that every day and they're always moving and you know uh and so if you're in environments where you don't you don't have the freedom to move as much as you'd like given what's happening then you have to induce stuff you know and that's the pool the pool is some 
we're inducing some stuff like the heat in the ice is inducing it. That water induces, you know, the whole fear of drowning thing and the, and the lack of air, you know, which no matter how comfortable you are, when you're under there and you're working, there's no air. So you have no, that. You, you, you fail every single time you're in the pool. I mean, you feel dozens and dozens every time yeah. you come up against that. Even, even when we do the XPT breathing drills that you, you know, you guys put out, I mean, you're, you're sort of, you know, you're moving and you're exposing yourself to just sucking. <laughs> and and it happens. I mean, the, the thing that drives me out of the sauna is that I literally can't take it anymore. That's why I get out. I retch. I retch and I have to get out of the sauna. There was actually a, not that long ago, Laird, I was sitting in the hot tub. Did I tell you this already? And Kelly was alone in the sauna and had turned it up. So he'd driven me out already by turning it up so hot. And I hear him start retching. And then literally the door flings open and he does like actually, he actually rolls out of the sauna, like does a combat roll out of the sauna. I had checked to see how much water <laughs> you just, could actually take. Video. I needed a video. Yeah. Where's all the paparazzi's when they need them? Yeah, exactly. I was wondering how much water you could take. And then this superheated steam cloud came down yeah. and, and then I couldn't get out of it without crawling yeah, without off the like floor. A, a full roll. It yes, was, it was good. It there's was good. actually enough. Uh, there's but, enough heat in there. But again, that's that back. Well, and, and when I say submission, I mean failure. Like at the end of the day, the willingness to fail. I think that's probably a very you know, which none. We, 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 you watch people and they just avoid that. They avoid that like 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 the discomfort of cold or or whatever. You like they just avoid because there's a certain. I don't know. There's just uh, we a failure is such a avoiding failure is such a key element to you know, humanism. It's like, okay, I'm a human. I'm going to avoid being bad at anything or failing. And meanwhile, it's like, that's where all the stuff happens. Like, oh, it's too hot. got to get out. Oh, I can't take that. It's too cold. Oh, I got to get out. I can't take that. It's like, oh, I need to breathe. Oh, I can't breathe enough. I got to get, you know, it's like, which is great. It's, a, it's, it's, but that's where the pain relationship starts to cross over and, 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 you know, and that ability to, to, you know, have discomfort. Some people are just naturally better at it, you know, and, you can't use other people as a reference. That's one thing I think we make mistakes. We just have all these bars that are set by people. It's really important and really profound. I totally agree. Yeah, we yeah. totally agree. You know, I wanted to just, this is sort of a comment and a question, but um, when Kelly and I first started ice heating with you, we were sold and got a whole setup for ourselves. But the thing we, the, the side amazing benefit that we didn't really think about was the community piece. So we got all of our friends to, come on over and come over once or twice a week. And we either call it church or fire and ice, depending on the day. And we actually sit around with our adult friends in the sauna and have this like deep community connection time. And that has been this wonderful side benefit of the setup we have. I think the, the rest of it is crap. It's just about <laughs> me to being able to like gossip and sit yeah. knee to knee with people who are suffering. It's not really even about heat and ice anyway, but, but there is a something, there is a unique bonding that happens under stress right so and i just mean whatever stress if you just put humans in a stressful situation there is a bonding thing that does happen environmental stress i'm not mean self-induced brain stress i mean like environmental like hey we're together it's a storm and we're will you know we're going through a storm or hey we're in this hot thing and this is uncomfortable and it, and it's interesting how the conversation you know we call it the the truth barrel, but it's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of profound conversations go on and, you know, and the community, you know, again, you are the company you keep. I mean, they don't make up these things for, you know, for no reason. I mean, this is, this is real stuff. And, and when you can, you know, when you have 
and that's one of the unique things that we've been able to to be you know blessed with is that we have this incredible group of people that that you know because sometimes when you're just doing stuff alone or just you and a buddy you're like hey is this really as great as we think it is is, is it and then you have other people join you and then they confirm like yeah this is awesome like i really you know and so that and that helps build you know we build we build on that kind of stuff uh which is important too i think as well i think that that that's an important part of you know of this whole you know and and misery loves company you know so what can we do i think i think you really hit on a foundational part when we're talking about improving our ability to withstand discomfort pain angst anguish like you I mean you said it. i mean you know misery loves company that w- tribe and in creating support mechanisms are really have been they're sometimes undervalued and in one of the ways that we become more and more robust is to is is exposure to environment all the things we talked about already and really creating a, a sense of community and tribe i think that unequivocally is part of the the solution so I want to ask you about your new book, Laird. But before I do, when we were watching your documentary, Take Every Wave, there was a Q&A afterwards and someone said, hey, Laird, what advice would you give to your um, 25-year-old self? And I think it was to quit drinking. Sooner. Uh, <laughs> sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would do Sooner. It. Yeah. So to tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about your book. And the reason we mentioned it is that we know that alcohol is really hard on nervous system. And it's really, it's a solution that so many of us reach for when we're stressed out or trying to self-medicate and it actually makes things worse. Absolutely. Well, it's a depression. So let's just, first of all, let's go right to the, what it is. And, and, you know, I, I'm going on 10 or 12 years. Like I've lost track and, and definitely, the desire of any desire of that has, has gone by. And, you know, I mean, listen, I grew up in a, in a family that, you know, my mom was alcoholic and everybody around me was alcoholics and drinking was just a normal part of like totally socially acceptable. And mine too. What's that? Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Like part of the, just like, Oh yeah, of course. Like you, you say anything else and they, they, you know, they roll their eyes, but no, they got no problem, you know, drinking bourbon and scotch or, Johnny Walker or, you know, my mom, I mean, my mom loved her wine. And, and, and so I grew up in that environment. So for me to start to, you know, to start to drink was easy to do. And the fact is, is that, you know, we're amazingly durable, you know, uh, as fragile as we are, as, as durable we are, you know, our humans can endure a lot. I mean, you can, there's guys a hundred years old that drink whiskey and smoke cigars every day. And I mean, is he having an optimum life? Well, I'd have to question that. Like, is he doing all he could do? And did he do all he could do along the way? Like, and take, you know, take advantage of, you know, being, being, uh, in this physical vessel that we have this, this machine, but the, you know, so I, I went, I, I got to, you know, and I, and I wasn't a hard, I didn't drink hard booze, but I, I love, I love drinking wine every day. It was like a unwinder. Like I, at the end of the day, I'd pop the cork and, you know, and I could do it every day. I mean, I could do, I could drink a bottle or two every day. No problem. Easy. And wake up at six in the morning and train like a dog. So for me, it was easy to, you know, you couldn't say, Hey, it was, you know, it was, it was affecting me, except it started affecting people I cared about, you know, that were cared, that cared about me ultimately. And, uh, and, and, you know, and when I, and if I think about it, you know, I always tell, I always say, you know, all the dumbest things I ever did were when I was drinking. So, and, 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 but as I, 
uh, the interesting process of, of, of stopping drinking was at one, I just made a decision. My mom said to me when I was a a young man, she said, you know, if you can't be true to yourself, then you can't be true to anyone else. And so I thought about that. And, uh, and I thought about, I always thought about that. That was always in my head. And I'd say, Oh yeah, you know, I'm not going to drink anymore on the night. I drank a few more glasses than normal. Uh, and you know, tried to jump pineapple fields with BMWs and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so that, but, but then I could just keep going. Right. And I, and, and, but I started getting tired of hearing myself say I had this ability to do this, but then I wouldn't do it. And so I started, you know, I started to disrespect myself. And so in, in, in that process, that's, you know, that's where I decided like, Hey, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do what I say. And, uh, and after, you know, a few more dumb things and getting to a point where it was like nothing productive was coming out of it, out of it. I had done it long enough that I wasn't going to get any surprises. It wasn't like I was going to drink a beautiful bottle of, you know, Saint-Million from Bordeaux and be like, oh, yes. And now I'm going to the elated land. No, that none of that was happening. I already knew. <laughs> I know the course. There's nothing, no surprises. I, I, and and then I and then after making that decision, I just went, okay, that was it. And I, and I stopped, uh, and then I never drank again. And, uh, in the beginning it was, it was interesting because what I came to realize through the process is that ultimately that, that alcohol is the highest level of sugar addiction, that, that really, when you really get into what it is, it's, it's the king of, of the sugar addiction that, you know, you start with mother's milk that's sweet, um, naturally. And then we go into cereal and sodas and all the other sugar things that we, and then we get to alcohol and it's the king and it just goes, you know, it goes right into your liver. It's like bypass everything straight to it. And the volume, uh, I, I, w I was never attracted to desserts. Uh, just never was a huge, I could eat, you know, I mean, I, my, my appetite was beyond, so I could just eat all the dinner and all the desserts too. And, and that would happen, but that was more out of just being hungry. Uh, than just loving desserts and and then when I stopped drinking uh, it just my my desire for sweets went through the ceiling and that's when I really brought the attention of like hey this is really about sugar uh, ultimately and sugar is about inflammation and so here we are we have sugar inflammation uh, and it's a depression and then all the you know and then you're always sorry for the things you did and and, uh, and and then you stop drinking and watch people drink and watch how they transform and who they be kind of what it does to their personality. You're like, wow, I, I would I must have been just obnoxious. Like, I don't even want to know the me. You know, I had a name for the guy. He was called Larry. Like, did you meet Larry? <laughs> Hi, Larry Hamilton. Nice to meet you. Larry. You're going to drink that? You don't uh, want Larry. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a great segue because, again, when we're when we're talking about behaviors in the world we often see that we look at it as people just trying to solve problems and down regulating and turning off and managing and improving sort of the environment improving the ball you know getting out of a toxic environment really does ultimately always lead back to sleep it leads back to what are the other stressors in my life how do i put that in and i absolutely have to have a conversation about have to have a conversation about food and you know because those are food is medicine you know, eating in a way that's really sustainable and supports and doesn't doesn't highlight because I think you really bring up the point that human beings are imminently durable and you can eat a cheeseburger and still go win the marathon, but you can't do that forever. And we confuse that durability with 
the fact that we're we're making better choices and better decisions. You've just come out with a cookbook, and to know you and your family is to is to eat like a king. So can you? I mean, I love it. Can you talk just about a second for a second? Because we'll, we will we'll link to it. But I love that my one of my besties, surfing icon, comma, has, written, has written a cookbook. Well, listen, on a, you know, it's another way to share, right? It's another way to share. And I think that, you know, you and I and, and, and Juliet and, and friends of ours and the people we know, as much as we just think that, that, you know, that everybody knows what we know kind of thing. I mean, they don't. That's why you're doing this. That's why you're doing this podcast. It's like because we know that everybody doesn't know that there's certain things uh, certain ways that are probably better ways to eat. And, you know, yeah, you can win a marathon eating a cheeseburger, but could you have done it better if you were burning fat and eating coconut oil and, you know, some other, some other fuels that have a better, that, that have better energy, you know, you might've had a better time. So, but uh, the cookbook really comes out of just my, first of all, my exposure to a bunch of different, uh, you know, types of food and that, and that how important like in fitness diversity is really an important thing and and i think it's easy to get caught in a in a in a in a in a in a nutrition rut like we do in a fitness rut where we do the same thing we go there we do the rep we do this we you know it's like you get in this routine because we're humans are very routine oriented because it create it 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 represents safety and that's what we're looking for we're looking for safe and safe is what we know right so you know, not safe is what we don't know, like the fear of the unknown, right? So, so we're looking for safety, we're looking for consistency. So we eat the same exact stuff. And I think diversity in nutrition is probably one of the key factors to, to, uh, to being healthy. Uh, and, to, and, and so, uh, you know, the book itself is just foods that I've been exposed to in my travels. Uh, you, you know, I, I, you know, the menus and some of the things that we're that that some of the recipes, you know, the 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 turmeric uh, fish and the, you know, and the, and I mean, there's like there's a there's a couple of killer desserts in there. I love cobblers, and there's a, a like an avocado mousse uh, that's that's awesome, and and you know, and, and just a bunch. I mean, a bunch of other salads and some great stuff. You know, now when I think of myself in nutrition, I have the capacity to probably be pretty disciplined about my eating, which is probably the most difficult thing for most people to do. Um, and, and it's not out of any kind of, you know, ego thing. It's just, I have, I don't have a problem just eating really kind of weird things and, and kind of being restrictive. Rest- yeah. Restrictive. So I have, a, I have some, you know, I, I don't have a problem doing that, but I, if I made a menu of just what I, how I eat all the time, then it would not be so good for everyone else. So I'm trying to like, in a way, bridge the gap of like, Hey, this is, these are options. These are other ways to look at it. And again, you know, the book is titled fuel up because it's about looking at food that like it's energy instead of looking at food, like it's for taste. Now we want it to taste good. We have to make it taste good because we're all programmed to need it to taste good. So at the end, it's there's some incredibly tasting good dishes in there. But the fact is, is that we have to look at that food like fuel and from that perspective and that when you start to look at it that way, it makes your palate a lot more diverse. You become a lot more diverse at eating. You're more concerned about creating diversity in your diet uh, and becoming more aware of, 
you know, uh, of of all these options. And there, and these are great options. Uh, there's some, I think there's over 30 recipes in the book. And, you know, we did a, we did a taste uh, thing just locally recently where they, we went to a, a place where they, they cooked a, a bunch of the dishes and people were, you know, people loved, loved, loved the stuff. So they're great tasting. And again, uh, about diversity and then changing your perspective. Like what does, food represent to you you know what i mean because we're such a, a a flavor driven uh society everything's flavor driven and so at the end you know we're not looking at like like power driven we're not looking at like you know like this is going to give me power this is going to make me strong this is going to make everything run better this is going to make me you know and again uh, really why eating is so important is because it's so connected to to your mental stability that's right well <laughs> you know? All I know is that uh, I, as long as I have your hair and Gabby's abs after this book, it's going to be just fine for me. Well, you know, I was going to say last season we interviewed this nutrition expert, Kate Shanahan, who is, I'm a big fan of her. And one of the things she says and why I love that you're focused on diversity is that the average American only eats five different types of vegetables. And really, we should be eating like 25 to 40 different kinds of vegetables. Um, so I love I love that it's diversity focused. Absolutely. Well, because that's the, because that's our missing link because that's right. we're, we're missing the diversity. I mean, they say that we used to eat hundreds of vegetables and now we can barely name 30 and then we only eat five tomatoes, onions, <laughs> lettuce, carrots, yeah. I mean, carrots, cucumber. I mean, it's like, you know, so the fact is, is that, is that, you know, that that's what we're missing and that's what we need is diversity because it's going to bring us something uh, that we're missing. It's going to bring, uh, an aspect of, of nutrients in our, you know, and we, and we have to, the fact is we have to be more creative now and take advantage of more, uh, nutrient dense foods and seek them out in different, in different, uh, ways in order to make up for the fact that our, our food, uh, doesn't have all the, 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 the phytonutrients and the minerals and all the stuff in it that it did when we composted and things were wild and all that stuff. So we have to be, you know, and, and that and that and that leads to like making it very complex. You can make it so brutal that it's not even worth it. And That's I have right. friends that are that are so crazy about their eating that it's their full time job, and it, the stress associated with it's not worth it. Just go have a burger somewhere. Um, you know, at, at the end. So I think it's important to try to make it doable like how make it doable and, and, and accessible and we still have to make it taste good we still have to do certain things to make people actually do it because otherwise and then from there you can build right if you start eating diversity and you're you know you're and then you get the flavors and all that then maybe you can start to get real strict and be like hey i'm going on a such and such thing and i'm going to cut out all of this and all of that and i'm going to get rid of rid of all the processed foods and I'm going to get rid of all the sugars and I'm going to get rid of all the, you know, all the grains. And I'm going to, you know, it's like, you can get to that, but we have to start before that. You just got to get people to start venturing out. And the only way that's going to happen is if you make stuff taste good. Well, I, I love that. If I had to name of all my incredible friends, I would say you are the king of first principles, go outside, play, hang out with your family, sleep, you know, get some sunshine, move your body, eat foods, limit or remove or, or, or reduce things that are a challenge to your system. 
Laird, maybe this is the the key to the fountain of youth, and you've discovered it, my friend. Because uh, well, it's the beginning. I know. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, you're feeling good along the way, and who knows when your numbers up. But hey, as long as you're feeling good along the way, like that's the whole thing too. It's like sometimes you go, you know, hey, oh, I want to live forever. This and that. I go, no. How about just while you're here, you know, you're you 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 feel, feel as good. good. As, yeah, let's um, do that. What a concept. Uh, Amazing. Well, we can't wait to see you guys now that you're back on the mainland. And uh, best Thank to you your so family. Much, we Laird. love you guys. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, we, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Laird. Bye. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com. The Ready State is the podcast of MobilityWatt.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under MobilityWad. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it! Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility Wad, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it! You better stop it.